Brick Moon Fiction presents Pythus by Jason D. April. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. He stirred at the sound of a thud echoing through the darkness. Head barely raised, he listened intently as a slow, scraping noise pierced the air. Someone or something was moving something very heavy against the stone floors of the cavern. Their movements were slow, labored, haphazard. Whatever their burden, it was unwieldy and far too big for its caretakers. When had he last heard anything, or moved at all? Days? Years? No, centuries at least. The old gods died, their charges moved on to worship new idols. Most of those creatures unfortunate enough to be shackled to one god or another died with them, but a few— a few existed as something between God and man and monster, beholden to no one in the end. So when the faith died, a few were left in a limbo of their old world as the rest of the world trudged onward. The scraping of the object got louder, closer. He sighed and looked toward the sound, a futile gesture as the dark was absolute. He stood on his boat, if it could be called that. Once it had been a great vessel, a magnificent macabre fairy taking the dead to their final destination. The river had long since stopped flowing. Now it was an inhospitable sludge. Did it still possess the power to make you forget? If he plunged into it, would it end him, or would it just trap him in a worse place? He used to know so much. A god of wisdom in his own right had there been any justice. But no one ever worshipped him. They feared him, they paid the toll, they only whispered the name if they ever said it at all. Karin. The scraping was close now, and he could see orb-shaped glints, and maybe twenty paces behind them, the flickering of a torch. He focused on the glints and let his eyes adjust. Four creatures, strange toad-like things, wearing dirty, tattered robes, pushing a vessel at least twice their height. The curved shape stirred familiar memories. Apithus used by men and gods to carry heavy goods on mighty ships. They strained with all their might to push it right to the edge where the boat was tied. Slowly, the straggler holding the torch came forward, as the four who pushed cowered away to the shadows. It looked up at him, uncertainty on its wide, strange face, then deftly slid up the pithus, held up a single gold coin, and placed it in the indented center of the wax-sealed concave lid. Walking backward into the dark, the creature bowed low, and then ran, leaving only silence in its wake. With a long, slow sigh, Karin straightened his back, unfurling to his full height. After an age of stooped slumber, his body protested. The bare, dried flesh over ancient bones flaked as his arms moved and spine straightened. Slowly, he took a step. The raft rocked slightly but nothing broke. A second step, then another. Unsteady, he walked to the edge, hesitated, then stepped across the gap to the bank. Standing over the giant urn, he took its details in. Two handles and a series of etched ornamental lines. It was simple, no markings to identify its origin, no godly symbols. He reached to the lid and grabbed the coin. Turning the coin over, it glowed a subtle golden hue illuminating the massive urn and the front of his tattered blackened rags. One side was plain, 
smooth as if never finished. On the other side, a hammer, Hephaestus. The clever old blacksmith had survived somehow. Karin almost mustered a chuckle, thinking about time spent with the beleaguered inventor. Hades's realm frequently met the world above through volcanoes, which also happened to be the preferred source of heat for the blacksmith's forges. It was, Hephaestus had joked once, as if they were neighbors. Karin let out a sigh, steam erupting from his mouth and nostrils. In a practiced, deft flick of his fingers, he palmed the coin and the light blinked out. His fingers slowly straightened out, revealing only an empty palm. Stepping up to the pithus, he grabbed the handles and lifted it, carrying the urn across the mooring gap to set it down in the center of the boat. He felt the familiar heft of the oar in his hands. Pushing it down through the thick, marshy surface, it took more effort than he remembered. In this realm between the worlds, the only weight carried was what you took with you. The bottom was in reach of the oar, but there was a tremor with each downward shove, as if something were grabbing it, trying to hold it. In the end, the old gods cared only about themselves. There were no magnanimous gestures as they passed away, no sudden need for acts of altruism toward those poor souls who died believing in them. What happened to them when Hades collapsed? The god and the realm were inseparable. The bleak landscape had shuddered, earthquakes tearing it apart, rock filling the well, crushing everything in a destructive wake. The gates had fallen, and some must have escaped. To what, he had no idea. How many have been trapped down here all this time? He pushed harder, the raft sliding over the putrid algae-crusted surface. By the time he'd gone far enough that the oar no longer touched bottom, the water slowly flowed forward. He sighed, resting on the pole of the oar and staring at the pithus. If there was to be one last voyage, one last delivery to the land of the dead, he would do his duty, always and no matter what. That's all he had. There was nothing before the boat, before the feel of the oar in his hands and the uncertain balance of the boat. He was a tool crafted for a single purpose and, like so many others, thrown out to rot. The current grew faster as the thick bog broke. After a time, the river became a flowing sheet of black, barely disturbed by his passing. Beneath the surface were flits of soft light, pulsing blue and white. The long, supple glows came up from the depths to follow alongside the boat, staying just below the surface. One leapt from the water with a sharp, whistling sound, and then more of the illuminated amorphous streaks jumped in perfect arcs around him. His grip on the oar tightened. The river was many things— but a source of joy and wonder was not among its amenities. A flicker from the back of the boat made his eyes narrow. With clawed fingers of dirty light, something was trying to get aboard. A cackle from one side, then the other, made him turn. No longer sleek aquatic creatures, the glowing specters had shifted into distorted, barely human forms. Their long, writhing arms ending in dagger-like fingers, decayed faces flowed over broken skulls. Sometimes one would leap through another, causing a duet of agony as their forms merged for a moment into one multi-armed abomination before continuing on their separate arcs. At the end of the boat, a thing pushed itself up onto the wood. It had a man's head and torso, enormous arms holding its ethereal weight, and its form trailed off to wisps at the waist. With shocking speed, the creature made a small leap to the urn and reached one arm around it. 
The boatman let out a whispered growl, twisting the oar up in a wide circle before slicing the end through the creature's arm. It howled, toppling over as the severed arm disappeared into smoke. Without hesitating, he brought the wide oar ahead down on the specter's skull, halving it and continuing through its body, splitting the creature in a painful asymmetry. The others began screaming. Glints in the air just on the periphery turned into dive-bombing souls slashing at him, while others aimed for his cargo. Karin held the oar upright before him. The long elliptical blade running down the side of the oar head gleamed from the use. Karin the boatman, the lord of the river Acheron, the ferryman of souls. He wasn't just a courier for the dead. The underworld rivers were dangerous, eager to swallow up anything they could. It took a fierce hand to show mastery over them. He didn't like to fight. He wasn't a brutish boar like so many of the sons of Zeus, but this was still his domain. The Pythus was his burden to protect. It didn't matter what was hidden within. The toll had been paid, and gold was a binding contract. He stepped back quickly, lifting the blade up to tear through the first of his flying attackers, Deftly spinning the blade end to face the opposite direction, he thrust it up over the pithus, slicing the spirit in two at its right shoulder. Spinning around, he swiped the oar in a wide arc just over the surface of the water, cutting through yet more soul before plunging the oar into the water with a powerful push. With mechanical repetition, he kept the oar in motion, building up speed. The water picked up after a time, and he suddenly became aware of the utter quiet beyond the slight swishing of the oar cutting the water. He stopped moving and looked around. No lights. No pursuers. The current increased its urgency. Ahead in the dark, the distinct sound of water slapping against something hard, solid. He barely had time to react as a huge jutting piece of rock appeared through the darkness, Focusing on the passage ahead, he started to see debris dotting the river's landscape. The boat wouldn't slow now. It responded to his oared urges to veer around the rock, but something had made the river take on a violent pace. As the river widened out even more, the slew of fallen rocks tapered off to be replaced by the unnerving sight of furious white spray and the echoing of impact somewhere ahead, somewhere below. It took him too long to process. The quakes had cracked the earth so badly it opened a new abyss. The once calm, steady river had been torn apart, and in his quest to travel the course, he had inadvertently put the long stagnant waters into motion again. The river, just like him, was driven by purpose. It was tied to him, reacted to him, but the damage done was something neither could overcome. There was no shore to reach, no way to go back, and no other path. He dropped the oar onto the raft floor, stepped back as the spray began to hit him, then turned and grabbed the pithus with both arms, hugging it tightly. The boat jerked upwards hard, hitting something unseen beneath the spray, and then he flew. And then he fell. Holding his cargo tightly, he had no idea how long the plunge lasted. Time faded away into the blackness like everything else. When the roaring sound of the water finally impacting against the rock and water below filled up his senses, he gripped the pithus more tightly and let the rest of his body relax. He wasn't afraid of death. It would be a blessing if it came, but he hated failure. He hated that his last act would be to fail. 
The impact felt like being crushed by stone. The water swallowed him eagerly, wrapping around him like a cocoon. He could hear voices, crying, screams, flashes of lights passing by. Every memory the river had stolen landed here, swept away to this pit of utter despair. In a dream he watched a man, a fisherman, paddling back to shore with his catch, the sun setting behind him against a sky of such deep blue it matched the ocean. He smiled widely, waving his arm high. Karin could see a woman there, two small children, all smiling, waving him in, before a look of terror fell over their faces. He felt fear as he looked back to the fisherman and saw a shadow rising behind him, deep black tendrils reaching for him. In a second, it was over. No time for him to scream or even understand. The tendrils grabbed, snapped, and he was just gone. Karin awoke, face down, against sandy stone. He was clearly still alive and for a long moment felt a deep sense of disappointment over it. He sighed into the dirt and slowly pushed his old body up. Eventually, he stood. Ahead, dim illumination from some unknown source revealed a familiar sight. The gates. Once massive and imposing, the entrance to Hades' realm now barely stood at all. One of the gates was almost completely over. The other only stayed up because stone debris trapped it in place. A massive chain lay rusted along the ground before the gates, like the iron skeleton of some massive serpent that weaved across and under the ground until it ended at a massive stake. He looked for the other end, walking measured paces along the chain until it disappeared under a mountain of broken rock. Was it enough, he wondered, to have brought the poor creature a final peace? He stepped back and turned toward the shore, where the pithis had washed ashore. Somehow the urn had survived unbroken. It was heavier now, weighed down by the boatman's burden of need. Trudging past the broken gates and along the fractured path, he stopped at the top of a ledge and looked down at the bleak landscape ahead. Familiar landmarks juxtaposed among the rubble in a strange jumble. Hades' great fortress was gone, but somehow his throne now lay directly in the center. The rips in the earth, the random placement of anything recognizable, the remaining walls still standing. It reminded him of a labyrinth, or a puzzle where the pieces had just been thrown down without care of how they fit. There were lights flickering as well, like the lost souls on the river flying over the wreckage with no discernible pattern or purpose. At the throne, a barely perceptible glow wavered a dirty blue and white. The boatman found that worrisome, knowing his journey would almost certainly end there. Such as it was, proved treacherous. He moved slowly down the narrow and unstable rocky ledges and shelves. It took hours. The dead flickered dark reds, as if impatient. He let them wait. Lost souls were never his department. The descent gave him time to think. The memory tugged at him, haunted his mind. He couldn't escape the image of the man. A man who had a life with purpose and love. A life that was stolen in a second of utter horror. And for what? To be a slave? Drowned in cursed waters until there was no identity left? Hades had a penchant for this kind of thing. He stole his wife, a mere girl, like some parasitic leech just beneath the surface. The ground ripped open underneath the girl's feet and swallowed her whole. Hades didn't think twice about the pain it would cause, the countless human lives that winter of mourning would take. 
Karin wasn't surprised that Hades had lied to him as well. Understanding the truth felt like the missing piece of his existence. No, he wasn't surprised. But by the time he reached the ground, he was angry. From ground level, the place looked like a devastated city. Collapsed stone buildings in all directions, this was once the heart of Hades's realm. The city of the dead, the damned, the lost. And, of course, a veritable army of underlings, the staff that actually maintained the place. No one ever talked about them, of course. Flashes of light blinked around him, passing by gaps in rubble or empty window frames on walls that still stood. For the moment, the floating emanation seemed intent on staying just in sight. When the way offered multiple paths, the spirits would converge on all but one to direct his way. He resigned himself to following their lead. For hours, he walked a steady pace without stopping. The weight of his burden had ceased to be an issue during the climb down. Now it was unwieldy, holding it out in front of him, but not taxing. Eventually, Karan stopped. In answer to his slow pace, the spirits had been getting more agitated and bolder, one clumsy attempt to dive-bomb him resulted in his backhanded fist passing through it, causing it to careen into a long building just ahead before sinking into the ground. In the second before it disappeared, there was a strange glint of almost purple light. He set the pithus down just inside. It looked like a storage room, connected to a former barracks. There was an array of armor, weapons, even farm tools scattered around in complete disarray. On the wall... Somehow still secured by leather straps was something he would have thought impossible. The long, curved blade was unlike anything seen since men walked Gaia. Sharp enough to cut through anything, mundane or divine, it was made of pure diamond that would never crack or dull. The long handle fit perfectly in his hands as he removed the straps and took it down. Made of bone from a creature long since lost to memory, the dark gray snath was harder than any rock or metal of men, and the bone handle ended with what looked like a button. A quick swing sliced effortlessly through wood and metal detritus, and he nodded to himself, satisfied. He tapped the butt of weapon on the ground, causing the blade to snap down to the handle with a clicking sound. Back on the path, the spirits shifted and blinked slower, fidgeting in a wide circle around him. The path curved noticeably inward, and Karn estimated the throne was close. The farther in he went, the faster and more erratic the souls moved. And then suddenly, they froze. Just hanging in the air for a long moment before slowly forming a wide circle around him as he walked into the open clearing. The throne lay ahead. On it, a tall skeletal figure sat motionless, leaning over almost to the point of collapsing, the smaller throne stood empty. Karan set the urn down and slowly approached the old god. Fragments of dirt-stained fabric lay at his feet. In one bony hand, a piece of parchment. A distinct smell wafted through the air, causing the boatman to peer just past the stone chair. Blood puddled around a strange webbed foot. Stepping around, he could see the body of one of the same creatures that had brought him the pithos its throat crudely ripped open. Silently turning away, he slid the parchment from Hades' cold, dead hand. Ferryman, it is time to step out of the darkness. Within this vessel you will find an object of transformation. It is only for you, 
I have gone to great lengths to ensure that once my servants deliver this gift, it can only be moved and unsealed by you. It is one last burden for you, but I promise it will be worth the effort. Take it to the seat of Hades's power, break the seal, and remove the object. It will change whoever touches it first. Be weary. The throne still has power, and even still, some part of the old gods may remain to covet this power. Should one of them return, it would send the new world into chaos. They had their time. May it never come again. Once affected, it will lead you to the light. From there you may join us, the misbegotten and abandoned offspring of dead gods. Or choose your own path. I have made arrangements either way to help ease your way. It is very different now. I await your return. Hephaestus, please know I have left you a treasure on the path should you find yourself under strife and in need of a weapon. It's perhaps my finest work, made from the fragments of a god-killer. Crumpling the letter in his hand, the ferryman kept his eyes to the stone ground. There were subtle changes in the air, a different kind of quiet. The skeletal hand of the dead god was closed into a fist now, and the circle of spirits were gone. With a quick breath to stoke up his courage, Karin slammed the butt of the scythe's handle against the stone floor. The resulting pound reverberated through the chamber as the long diamond blade snapped up into place. He cut through the air behind him like an oar through water, not waiting to see the sudden light of vengeful ghosts coming at him. Focusing on the sound of wailing spirits rising from the ground, he twisted and turned, keeping the blade in constant motion. The diamond blade sliced through the ghosts as if they were empty air, but each soul it took instantly fell into the blade, causing it to shine with increasing brightness. He gritted his teeth as the ground shook, pushing up long buried bones. Some were nearly complete skeletons that rose on shaking fleshless legs to attack. Other bones moved across the ground to meet compatible matches and form monstrosities. Each strike with his blade caused them to blow apart in an explosive flash. Eventually, the flow of restless dead ebbed, leaving only a discordant churning and clacking sound behind him. He had instinctively known everything before this was mere distraction. Turning to the god throne... Karin was overshadowed by a tower of bones rising up to form a skeletal armor around the desiccated corpse of Hades. The god towered over him. Flame burned inside Hades' skull, smoke evacuating from his gaping jaw with a guttural hiss. Karin stepped back, blade up. Those burning eye holes stared down at him. Hades hissed. Give it to me. Scythe poised. Karin backed himself against the pithus. There was no need to speak. Fueled by consumed mad souls, Hades was barely in control, a mad, desperate brute. But even a dead god was still a god, and bereft of reason, any strike that landed would be catastrophic. The first blow landed with the force of a mountain avalanche, Hades' bone fists striking the ground like a mighty hammer. Barely dodging in time, the ferryman stumbled as the ground shuddered and long cracks reached out from under the blow. The prize, however, stood fast. The pithus barely vibrated even though the fist barely missed it. No one else could move it, the smith god had written. 
Clearly, he wasn't one for hyperbole. As the massive god clumsily turned toward Karn again, the boatman dug in with a defensive stance and met Hades' fiery stare. Raising his fist again, Hades howled. Karn didn't hesitate. As soon as the fist dropped, he leapt in, swinging the scythe in a wide, horizontal arc. The god-killer slid through Hades' right leg, severing it completely. Karn moved aside as bones clattered to the ground. The noise that came from Hades was a cacophony of pain and anger. His whole body lurched down to his one remaining knee. Darting behind the god, barely avoiding a wild swing, he let the scythe swing again. The cut shredded through Hades, just above the waist, cleaving the spinal column. Another slash hewed Hades' right arm from the shoulder socket before the god's torso hit the ground. The boatman stepped back, watching the fallen lord of the underworld twitch and claw at the ground with his remaining hand. Karan took a silent breath before stepping up and swinging once more, parting Hades' head from his neck. The skull fell sideways, those fiery eyes staring out, jaw gaping in silence. The ferryman brought the blade straight up and then down, as a flicker of understanding passed through Hades' glare. The weapon hit with enough force to shatter the old bone then lodge into the stone below. The fire died out in a spattering of hisses and then grew cold. Karan stared at the broken skull. Once the repercussions for such an act would have been unfathomable. Now it felt like a hollow gesture. He pulled the god slayer's blade out of the ground with a grunt, slammed the butt of the handle, causing the blade to snap down. Setting the scythe down against the bones, Karin examined the lid of the urn. The wax sealing the lid melted away at his touch. Letting the lid drop to the ground, golden beams of light escaped from the mouth of the pithos as he reached in and pulled out the contents. It was an apple. Not even a golden one, a simple reddish fruit. He bit into it, and for the first time in memory, he could taste it. Sweet. Juicy. With a satisfying tartness at the end. His vision wavered and he stumbled back, taking another bite before becoming vaguely aware that he was falling again. A tingling sensation beginning at his fingertips spread out, up his arms, through his chest, and out to the rest of his body as if everything but his mind had fallen asleep, and beneath that a strangely numb pressure built up just under the skin. As he fell, flakes of old gray skin blew away from his body like leaves in fall, and he could feel himself changing. Feeling returned slowly, but it was unlike anything he could fathom. Minute pinpricks of electricity danced up his arms, a subtle warming wind passed over his body, bringing with it a strong, sweet scent. A flower, something he couldn't ever remember seeing in this pit of the dead. No, there was a memory in the scent, a hyacinth. It was her favorite. Somewhere voices called to him. His whole body turned to see them. A woman, two small children just behind. His family... They were waving to him. He wanted to go to them, but every effort felt as if he were swimming against an impossible tide. She held her hand out to him, and even from afar, he could feel her skin against his face, smell the flowers of her perfume. 
He understood then, with a deep sadness, they were waving goodbye. Karn closed his eyes, leaning into the phantom touch. He could hear her whisper a gentle shush. Live now, she told him. He opened his eyes to see her, to see his family moving away and fading out as darkness closed in. When he awoke next, there was light. He could hear alien noises. Bizarre odors assaulted him as a gentle breeze passed over his skin. His eyes opened, and he raised a hand to his face. It was flesh, not some nightmarish skeletal thing. Gingerly, he sat up. He was lying in grass. Behind him was a stone tunnel barred with an imposing metal door. Getting up, he stared in awe at his legs, his reddened skin, his senses that let him feel alive again. His robes were white, and the feeling of bare feet in the green soft grass was near ecstasy. He barely noticed the man suddenly standing before him with a familiar wide grin. A large mass of muscle and hair, with thick calloused hands affectionately landing on Karin's shoulders. My friend, the man said, I'm so happy. I was worried. Karin felt tears welling as he leaned in and wrapped his arms around Hephaestus. Come, my friend, the god of smiths said after a long moment. There is so much for you to see. Jason D. April has been writing professionally for over 20 years, mostly in nonfiction. You can find his bylines appearing on such sites as Playboy, Paste Magazine, Motherboard, Upload VR, and others. Occasionally, he even lets bits of fiction escape out into the wild. Jason does not tweet. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.